When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. And Anderson hasn't missed in two years. So that's a pretty good bet if you say, do you think Gary Anderson will make this field goal? The answer should probably be yes. 39 yards away. And it's not good. The perfect way to begin our new time slot on Purple Daily is with Gary Anderson missing a field goal wide left and the uh, iconic call from Pat Summerall and John Madden, who was certain that he was going to make it. And ESPN's Courtney Cronin doing this show today and every Tuesday and Thursday. The reason that I wanted Jonathan to play that is because Bill Buckner passed away and the entire world is talking about how Bill Buckner was treated following his gaffe in the 1986 World Series. And we have several of them here. People who could have been treated the same way and are still talked about locally but did not have the type of staying power with the missed field goals from Blair Walsh and Gary Anderson that Buckner had, and I would put Scott Norwood in the same category. And I I wonder if that's partly, Courtney, because of just the way that Minnesota handles things like that. Blair Walsh, I think most people felt bad for him. Gary Anderson, I know, came on some tough times after that, and I'm sure as a kicker, it's really difficult to deal with. And social media is going to be social media. People are going to tweet stupid things to Blair Walsh. But he became somewhat of a punchline. I just don't feel like that thing that happened to Bill Buckner, where he just became this constant punching bag and that one play all the time. I don't think that that's happened to Gary Anderson and Blair Walsh here. No, and take the Minnesota miracle, for for Minneapolis miracle, for instance. Whatever happened to Marshawn Lattimore? Everybody laid off of him. They were like, "Oh my gosh, this is such an you know a terrible." Marcus Williams. Marcus Williams. Yeah. Like that's such a See? terrible thing uh, for someone to happen in the rookie season. And I don't think anybody wanted to pile onto that because this absurd notion of scapegoatism in sports. Um, it doesn't. Correct me if I'm wrong here. It doesn't feel like it is totally bound to football. I don't feel like it is in football the way it is in baseball or maybe some other sports. Like I was racking my brain before we went on air thinking about some of like the other, you know, their missed shots in basketball, hockey, things like that. I can't picture anything. I mean, the Warriors were a punching bag and a punch line for the three, for three one, one lead. Yeah. Um, but nobody was making fun of Andre Iguodala for getting blocked by LeBron on that shot, except for Nicki Minaj. She used it in a song. <laughs> uh, but nobody else like in real life was was doing that. And it's just it's weird to me how in football. I think the I think it's fair to say the fan base is a little bit more stringent when it comes to certain things. Um, but when it comes to this stuff, they're able to kind of let it go a little bit easier. I mean, sure, you're going to have in the day and age of social media. And I mean, Blair Walsh was only a few years ago. Twitter wasn't at its peak, but it was still relevant. Um, even still, like... I just, I mean, yes, it's talked about here. It's talked about in a way of they don't, if this fan base doesn't want to experience that type of pain again to, you know, be 27 yards away from going to the divisional round. But I just don't think that, I mean, when we look at Bill Buckner, the flack that he got for what happened in the World Series 
went with him his entire career. He was never able to outrun it. Yeah. People wouldn't let him outrun it. Even when he tried to be a minor league hitting instructor, he still had to deal with it with fans after games. And there was the story about him basically choking a guy because he just snapped and had had enough. And then he moved to Idaho for a long time. And only later in life, and especially after the Red Sox won a World Series, did Bill Buckner seem to come to terms with it. And then it faded away to some extent, but still got played over and over and over again. The fact that I was born in 1986, the year that it happened, and have known about it for my entire life, tells you, uh, the level that that reached that only a few sports events ever really have. And in, in Minnesota, though, th- those two kicks are that local version of the Bill Buckner play. And they get played and they get talked about. I, I just don't feel like the media attack or the fan attack was anywhere near the same with those two. And, and maybe it is just because football, aside from, Aside from missing a kick to win the Super Bowl like Scott Norwood did, there's always things that you just go back on and say, well, look, it's a collective effort when you blow a 28-3 to lead. Exactly. Their defense blew it. Their offense blew it. You know what maybe it reminds me of? A thing that will never go away is Pete Carroll not giving it to Marshawn Lynch. That's fair. Or when you think about you know blowing a big lead, I think about the 2016 Super Bowl. Like. Who on the Falcons is getting like the big, the biggest blame from all that? No, it's collective. Yeah, nobody um, really did. There was no specific person who really got hammered with that. Maybe, well, maybe their defensive no. coordinator. Yeah, I was like, gonna say, but, it. but even now they should have run the ball too, if I remember yeah. correctly, because they got a holding call that took them out of field goal position. Kyle Shanahan was their offensive coordinator. He's the head coach of San Francisco. Nobody brings it up. Nobody says, yeah, that's uh, he's the head coach. But can you believe he didn't run? What yeah, Tevin Coleman in that situation? Like no one says that. It's really only Pete Carroll who has had that over his head. I, I think the only comparable thing, maybe in football history, that was a gaffe that is just known and will be known from everyone even born after 1990 because it's so iconic and famous and ruined the guy's life is the Scott Norwood kick. I thought you were going to say the butt fumble, but that's just where my brain was <laughs> no, that, going. That deserves it. The butt fumble <laughs> deserves it. I wonder if people have empathy for kickers, just knowing that it's such a situational position and how much is on the line, what's at stake every time you go out there, that maybe we give more credence to those people and those athletes than we would anybody else. I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but you think about the pressure situation and we talk about pressure kicks. Um, Every kick is a pressure kick in the NFL. Every kick. No matter if it's, you know, a PAT or a very long field goal, like every kick is. And I wonder if people in those situations when it's game on the line in the Super Bowl or, you know, obviously in the Vikings case again, more recently with the NFC championship and then with the NFC wildcard game. um, I think I don't know. I feel like I just remember seeing that video of Blair Walsh in the locker room afterwards. I wasn't on the beat just yet, but I remember seeing it circulate. And over the last few years, I've seen it multiple times where He's just distraught. It's not like he wanted that to happen. Like, I know there was the controversy over Mike Zimmer calling it a chip shot, and I know that that does not resonate well with special teams coordinators and with (laughs) players and kickers, too. Um, It's not easy. Like, I wonder just if the empathy aspect that these athletes have incredibly difficult jobs Marcus Williams whiffing on a tackle. I mean, that's that stuff is routine. It just happened at the worst possible time. I do think, aside from the kicks, we are much more willing to say something like what happened with Marcus Williams. We're much more apt to say, well, look, I mean, the New Orleans Saints on the previous drive, for some reason, had a third and one and handed it off right at Linval Joseph, which is the dumbest thing you can possibly do, especially when you have Drew Brees. Let's hand it. And so Saints fans will go back through that over and over again. Like, yes, we gave up that play, but also plenty of other opportunity. Same with the no call uh, on Nikel Roby Coleman. They've got to be thinking, yeah, we didn't get the no call, but we had other opportunities there to score. It kind of takes you off the hook a little, plus the fact that they've won a Super Bowl before. When you've won a Super Bowl before, it's all different. And that's where, with Minnesota, why it is so interesting that Minnesota fans... I think more than not feel bad for both kickers that had it go wrong. And also even Gary Anderson, they still had other chances. That mm-hmm. game went to overtime. And, and didn't Dennis Green like took a timeout with like some absurd amount of time left and let they, they let the they let the clock run down. 
It's like, what, under two minutes? Yeah. Right, right. They could have gotten closer. Yeah. Other things could have happened for sure. And instead, you end up with one guy being the goat in the wrong way yeah. of that game. But I, I don't feel like Gary Anderson can't come back to the Twin Cities ever. In fact, he continued kicking for the Minnesota Vikings and had a really long career after that. And uh, you know, the, Blair Walsh came back the next season. He kicked extremely poorly, and it didn't work out, and he had to be cut. But there was also those nice stories about kids sending him letters, and ESPN did the feature about the girl who was inspired by Blair Walsh and things like that. So yeah, I, I feel like maybe it's just partly because of how Minnesota fans are about sports in general. It's much less crazy and rabid than it is in Boston, and... There's also that part of it where Boston hadn't had the World Series in such a long time, and at the and at that moment, baseball was everything to them. Mm-hmm. They had the Celtics too, but it was baseball was the number one sport. It was like football is now. I just think it's fascinating how you know there's a couple Chargers kicks that go missed, then the Chargers don't end up in a Super Bowl and things like that when they were at their absolute peak with Tomlinson and Rivers and uh, Antonio Gates and all those guys. We kind of move on from these things in football from year to year, and every once in a while are sort of reminded, but it, I don't think it has the connection to history that baseball does either. I don't either. Um, I know we were talking about the 30 for 30 before we started the show, and the one that I'm referring to is about Steve Bartman yes. and um, yes. how he, you know, even the Cubs welcomed him back after many, many years of demons being exercised, but staying in that city. I mean, you think about Cody Parkey and the double doink and how that is the story, uh, literally the entire story of this offseason. They lose two uh, premier dudes in their defense in uh, Adrian Amos and Bryce Callahan. Nobody cares. They don't. Nobody cares who they signed in free agency. Nobody cares about their four draft picks or whatever they had. Nobody cares about Mitchell Trubisky. They only care about the kicker. And I think... Sure, that was kind of a, a season drawn out of however many kicks he missed in that Detroit game, and then there's helicopters following over him over Soldier Field to see him practicing, and then at the worst possible moment, he doinks, he doinks, double doinks. Um, that to me, I mean, it's just it's interesting to see. I wonder if a it's because of his how how expensive it was to cut him and just the dead money and just kind of how that position set this franchise back a little bit, maybe. Um, And that's probably up for debate, but there's, I don't know, I think maybe just the way he handled it afterwards, too, going on the Today Show and saying that, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I know Matt Nagy was not thrilled with it. Um, That was I think it's the after effect of how these things are handled. Like, do guys show remorse? Are guys, like, people want to see people just destroyed over this because it's sports and it matters. Um, But these are people's lives. These are people's careers. I mean, the stories that you hear about Bill Buckner dying 69 years old barely i mean that's that's not old and think about the weight of this that he had to carry with him his entire life and then think about the weight of guys like blair walsh like i mean that's probably he's not in the league right now that's probably weighing on him a lot a lot a lot a lot and probably a reason he doesn't have a job like just the collective body of work not just what happened in seattle recently considering how talented he was at a time one of the best kickers especially with long kicks and then with seattle he was missing 50 yarders short. Like it, it just seemed like he didn't have any confidence left. He most certainly didn't after this team <laughs> avoided having him kick anything from 27 yards for the entire preseason. They made sure they stayed away from that. Like, I, I mean, he, it's like psychological it warfare. Yeah. No, I don't think he was awful. helped very much as far as how it was handled though. I thought, Blair Walsh, I don't remember what happened with Gary Anderson and how he handled it, but he just came back and kept kicking and had a long career. But with Blair Walsh, by 2016, he really felt every single miss like it was the one in the playoffs. And you're going to miss sometimes. Even the best kickers are 90%, so they're going to miss some. But from the very beginning, you go to Tennessee and he shanks one really bad in week one. And immediately it's, he shot Right. And it's everyone telling you it's in his head. He can't do it. And when I went back through the career careers of different kickers who had missed really seriously bad kicks in the playoffs, very few ended up actually having a good career after that. A lot of the guys who missed them were out of the league by a year or two later because it's got to be so devastating and difficult to even go back out there. And I mean, Bill Buckner did actually keep playing in Major League Baseball 
after that, but for whatever reason, people just couldn't let it go. And the media couldn't either. Like just yeah. to, just to play devil's advocate here, the media crucified him. Right. How many times have we seen the angle of that ball going in between his legs? Like a thousand yes. every single time like the World Series comes yeah. on, we see the replay. It's a very different media um, atmosphere in Boston. And I don't know if that was just the eighties too. Like I'm sure there was na- there was an from the national perspective, it wasn't just Boston media that crucified him. It was like countrywide he became the uh, a punchline and you know that that killed him and i think that um you know with dave henderson you know he hit that home run beforehand um and so that goes then it goes into the 10th inning i just think that you know i don't know there's something about baseball i can't put my finger on it but just maybe the stakes of a seven game series um how long the games are and just that a pitcher controls everything i don't know i think like, a big part of it is in that atmosphere, something resting there as a topic for a very long time would happen. Like now, if something happened in football, we would be on to the offseason. Something happens in the Super Bowl, like Marshawn Lynch, we're going to remember it and we're going to talk about it like crazy for a couple days. And then we're on to the next thing because things just move really fast now. Like even with the Saints and the NFC Championship this year, I mean, yeah, that dominated postseason offseason talk for a while and then the rule getting changed and pretty much died out after we're that. not talking about it right now right it's pretty crazy yeah i, I think that's just kind of how things work in today's uh media but you know we were going into in the 80s there we were going into that era right before i mean it's a few years before but sort of leading up to that with oj trial and with the nancy kerrigan thing and all that where you had one story or one event just sort of take over the world. And I remember that even as a little kid, kind of how media was. And that difference might be part of the reason why, um, like we would still remember if Bill Buckner happened in this year's World Series, we would talk about it and we would remember. But I don't think that whoever it was would be treated the same way he was. And part of it is the the market, the fact that they hadn't won the World Series, the fact that the World Series was just way bigger than, than it is now. Mm-hmm. But now the interests of even sports fans are so spread out that that's another part of it. Yeah, and I, I think the fact that they were able to exercise some of those demons and they won World Series in the years after that. I mean, how much with the Cubs winning in 2016, no one's talking about Bartman anymore. Because exactly, yeah. They, they exercise their playoff demons. They don't ever have to show that play because history, they finally achieved the un, unachievable after, what, 108 years? Hmm. Like, I think everybody's okay, like cooling it on that. But with Bill Buckner, even though the Boston Red Sox were really good in a dynasty, you know, decades later, beyond that, they still can't let it go. Yeah, even after they brought him back and tried to kind of apologize, and the same thing with Steve Bartman, try to, oh, we won the World Series, we apologize. It's like, well, you know, maybe that apology should have happened way before that. Maybe it shouldn't have taken winning a World Series to bring him back and say sorry. And even interestingly with Buffalo, when Scott Norwood missed the kick, he was greeted with huge cheers, huge ovations when they came back for basically people trying to say, hey, look, it was a tough kick. It wasn't your fault. And that's another one where the narrative about what actually happened, and this is really interesting to me for almost any sports gaffe, but a 49-yard kick at that time in the NFL history is a long ass kick. Yeah. Now it's okay. If you don't make it for 49, what's wrong with you? But at that time it's a, it's a lot different. I mean, the kickers were just nowhere close to as good as they are now. And the bills did the same thing that the Vikings did. They wasted the clock. They ran the ball to try and center it for them when they should have been more aggressive and continue to move the ball and get closer for that kick. And the same thing goes for the Buckner event where it's you mentioned Dave Henderson gets a hit and there's the wild pitches that go on and, and everything else. And I still contend that the guy couldn't make the play at first anyway. No. Even if he gets the ball, Mookie Wilson's probably safe. So it's it it's one of those things where the narrative gets shaped and it just stays that way. And I think we're better in football at saying, well, you know, if all these other things happen, so let's not look at one thing. I mean it's the ultimate team game, right? It takes 10 other guys on your team to make up for errors, make up for gaffes and also support you. I mean, what's the narrative if the Vikings did not, you know, if, if Keenum didn't hit Stefan Diggs on the corner out, what's the narrative? Hey, the Vikings blew a 17 point lead yeah. at halftime. Yeah. Like it's the, it's the defense's fault. Right. At that point, we're not talking about well, that case did throw in, in case. Threw, yeah. Case yes. thrown it. 
He's in the mix. He's absolutely <laughs> that, in the mix. But that's here. the whole but yeah, point is a, that there's a bunch of blew, things. They blew a 17 point lead, and it, it it doesn't even fall on one person's shoulder because you can't blame every. We can blame a lot of the cornerbacks. You can blame Xavier Rhodes. You can blame Terrence Newman. You can blame all of them for those touchdowns late in the second half. But. Blaming Jeff Overbaugh at that point for the block punt. Like, I mean, it's that's what I'm trying to get at is it feels like it's the the blame is spread out more in football. Yeah, for sure. Then one ground ball to one guy who let it go through his legs and then he gets the blame for a lot more stuff. The phone number to reach us here, the Purple Daily Show at its new time, two to four, is 651-646-8255. Courtney Cronin will begin all offseason on Tuesdays and Thursdays for the entire show. We've got our Hot Routes segment coming up. And next, I would like to discuss with you the CBA because my, there's my nothing favorite, more exciting. My favorite off-season topic. But this really, this really bad word that football fans never ever want to hear is already being talked about for 2020. We will discuss when we return. You are listening to Purple Daily. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never-ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Looking very promising. I'll tell you what I've seen the last, last few days. Offensively, you know, I think they're vastly improved. And this kind of the type of scheme that they're running, you know, I think with the new pieces they have on the O-line and uh, kind of the new guys they have uh, upstairs, you know, and, and kind of the masterminds they have on the offensive side are going to pay dividends. And defensively, we're going to do our thing like always. And uh, I'm just looking forward to a big year. That is Anthony Barr on Good Morning Football. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here, Purple Daily. Jonathan Harrison is producing. If you have a question or comment about the Minnesota Vikings, you are always welcome to chime in at 651-646-8255 here from inside the TCL Broadcast Studios. And if you didn't catch our announcement last Friday, yes, it is Purple Daily every day now from 2 to 4, so I will be talking football. If you enjoyed Score North Live, that will still be happening every Tuesday and Thursday as a prelude to the show, and I'll also be joining the Twins guys on Monday and Friday in the uh, second hour. Big there, Twins so. guy, yeah. Twins are yeah, hot. It's, I'm it, becoming a huge Twins fan. I'm just, I'm just riding the bandwagon. I don't know what to do when a team here in Minnesota just wins a lot. Like, what do I, what do I talk about? Hey, 2017 was a fun year. Vikings were winning all the time. It was, yeah. It was different though, wasn't it? Let's, it was, wasn't expected. I like this. Let's talk about this. <laughs> 2017 Vikings. We just kept waiting for the wheels yes, to Yes, everybody off. was holding their breath, being like, there's no way they're going to go on an eight-game win streak. Exactly. And we kept thinking, and even after Case Keenum lost in Pittsburgh, we were like, are they going to call Colin Kaepernick? Like, should this be the team that's win now? And would Zimmer be the one that walked in and said, bleep it, I don't care about the rest of the league. We got to try and win. We were having that discussion after a couple of weeks into that season. So when they started to win, especially since a lot of things went their way, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt and their schedule kind of matches up pretty nicely. We were always waiting for the other shoe to drop in 2017 with the Vikings. I'm not sure that that's the case with this year's twins. No. And I mean, it wasn't really expected. I'm trying to think back to the Athlon sports preview. I read in like February of this team. Um, I don't know. I think that people thought they would be competitive in the central, but realistically, like, is there anything that like was way, it's not like this is completely foreign. I think the, here's, they've, they've had some good guys. What was the guy that was called up like three weeks ago? Oh, uh, Arias. Yeah. Arias. I mean, he's been playing pretty well. Yeah. No, and, he's been really good. And, and that's part of it too. With 2017 Vikings that I would say is different from the twins is aside from Case Keenum, he shows up out of nowhere and plays like a star for an entire year, but they were living up to the expectations in 2017 that were set for them by having an 11 and five season in 2015 and being looked at as a rising team. But as a team that should be a Super Bowl contender, I think that this twins team came in into the season feeling like, or at least the fans felt like, well, you know, it might be still a couple of years away, but maybe this year is a playoff season because they have such a weak division. Maybe that'll happen, but instead they've come out and just blow the doors off of absolutely everybody. 
And bats came alive. I think you expect to go to a Twins game now and see at minimum of three home runs. (laughs) Yeah. Which last night when I was there, I was kind of disappointed. I only saw one. It was kind of the same way with the Vikings defense 2017, that if someone scored a touchdown, you're like, oh, really? Oh, Okay. Oh, wow. They gave up a touchdown. I mean, just for a long period of time, it didn't happen. That season, they were playing like Cincinnati and Chicago and Green Bay at the end of that year. And even when we went to Carolina and they lost, it's like, oh, I didn't expect them to actually lose a game here with the way that they're rolling. But there's much, there was much more skepticism because of the Case Keenum element than there is of this. Because I tend to believe that this Twins team is going to continue to hit a bunch of home runs. I never believed in that entire season that Case Keenum could get them to the Super Bowl. No, you did not. No, I and, didn't. Um, I think with the I made tw- that kind of clear on the radio. I think with the Twins, I mean, they have some big-name players who have a lot of power. I mean, we talk about Byron Buxton. We talk about when Miguel Sano can come alive, Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, minus last night. Um, there's some names here that have some credence to them just in terms of what's what's been expected um and it's fun to kind of ride the wave and see and see just you know it's may right now nobody's freaking out that they lost to the brewers last night but it is cool like when when a fan base can actually realize something um and see it come to fruition all right so that that wraps up twins talk i know on that, purple daily that's it, it's a <laughs> it's a fun thing to to think about was 2017 and just the debates that we had and i remember there was an article that i wrote about case keenum and how much longer he could keep it going and it got I mean, hundreds of comments and angry people yelling at each other and things like that. It was exciting and fun to discuss. They were upset that you were talking about Teddy Bridgewater in there. Yes. They were upset about that. Some people never wanted to acknowledge how good Teddy Bridgewater was in 2015. And I will never understand why, because he won a lot of games and played well, especially in big situations. But um, putting that aside, Demoris Smith, who is in charge of the NFL Players Association, sent a lockout warning to all of the player agents telling them to advise players to plan a work stoppage or plan for a work stoppage of at least a year. Courtney, are you buying that after this season, we will not have football until 2021 or beyond? I I can see a labor dispute. I think a lockout feels inevitable right now in some form or fashion, whether that means it's a diminished season just in terms of the number of games or, you know, I I find it hard to believe that they will not play football in 2021. Me too. I have a very hard time believing that. Or even 2020, right? Or 2020, yeah. yeah. Right. Because the the agreement expires um, in 2020, correct? So, I mean, they've they've still got time to... um, I mean, this came up for review, what, 2011? That's the last time. Um, so they locked out for four months back then. Could I see something similar to that? Sure. Because, you know, there's there's a lot of, there's media dollars that they're negotiating over because players want more of a cut than of, um, you know, of what they're doing, what they're collectively bargaining for. And I'm sure that there are obviously other things, but the overall revenue increase that they are anticipating and the players getting a cut of that, those are number figures. I mean, heck, to to compare it to something here, Kyle Rudolph gets offered a five-year contract extension and crickets. That's been more than a week since he confirmed that, or it's a week tomorrow. Things like this take time. When there's money involved, it takes time. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if we see a shortage of the season. Now, yeah, I think that we're probably in for... And this is not till 2020, but something very similar to what we went through before where uh, the entire training camp is used up. And then at the beginning of the season, it's a big cluster and teams are struggling to get on the same page. But eventually they do and then they go on with their lives and we forget that that lockout ever happened. But there are some different dynamics here at play. And one of them relates right back to the... Kirk Cousins contract, Mm -hmm. which is the guaranteed dollars. And if you're players now, I think there's a few things that you're really looking at here for the next CBA. And one of them is we just got to find a way to really get rid of the type of contracts that the Minnesota Vikings have been signing people to the full five year deal. That's actually three years or two, two years and they can cut you two years and they can June first you or something. Money after that. 
Right. I mean, if you're the players, you've got to be looking at those going, those aren't even real contracts, and you guys can get out of those pretty easy. And you've set up this salary cap that, I mean, some people will say the salary cap is a myth. Of course, it is not, as we are seeing the issue are, with. Those people annoy me. Yes, just to, they, just they do, because it's not a myth. It, but it can be worked around in many ways. And if you're the players, that's got to be really frustrating to you. Now, you reported last week that they wrote into Eric Hendricks' mm-hmm. contract and several other Vikings players that... The automatic conversions. Right, they can convert salaries to bonuses if they want to. If you're the players, you've got to be looking at all these little details saying, okay, we've been letting you guys get away with this stuff because we get beaten in every one of these CBA negotiations, but maybe we're going to actually dig our heels in. But for me... Football is the hardest one to dig your heels in because there's no guaranteed money. Exactly. I don't. I, I'll never understand it. What does football not have that baseball, hockey, the NBA with their super maxes? Yes, there's less players that you're worrying about. But what? Why? Why? Why has this been the case? I mean, because I've never been truly able to understand why. At least there aren't. I mean, sure, there are partial guarantees, but as you said. A five-year contract. Like that's why I'm really curious about Kyle Rudolph's uh, five-year extension because, really, from a football standpoint, it really makes no sense um, why you'd offer something like that. I don't know. That's another topic for another day. But is that a true five-year extension, or is it something like Everson Griffin's deal, for example? That the thing voids after this year if he gets. And I mean, it's good for him because he can hit free agency and go make top dollar somewhere else if he mm-hmm. wants to. But people look at that extension and then they don't look at the language and they say, oh, it's a four year deal worth X number of dollars. Like, well, no, like there's voids in there. There's things that benefit the team because it's always going to be team centric um, if you're negotiating upon it because they can go back and say, well, we did this with X, Y and Z player. It just follows precedent. But I'm I don't know. I think that the NFLPA and where things are with NFL players um, now based on the current CBA that was renegotiated in 2011, they didn't do a good job back then. They really didn't. And I think that if they want to, if a labor dispute comes to a lockout in order for them to get something right, I I think you take it. I just tend to think that players in football will never be strong enough, galvanized enough because of the massive difference between people like Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees who are set for life money and they could sit out a year and it won't make a difference to them. Mm-hmm. And especially players who have long uh, careers like quarterbacks, they're being protected so much with their position that no one can really hit them anymore. And they know that they're going to have a career. Matt Ryan, I guarantee you Matt Ryan plays till 40 years old and he knows that and he's going to make a kajillion dollars during that time. So you have players who are sitting there saying, yeah, we could sit and fight, but 95% of the rest of the league who does not have all the guaranteed dollars and has to keep playing, they're not in a position to sit. So they basically have to sign whatever they can. And we see this with the Vikings. They spend so much money on about eight players that all the rest of the roster is filled out by guys who are... Undrafted not, free agents, right, not on second picks. contracts, yep. guys who are making $500,000. They're making up the entire depth of the Minnesota Vikings. Do you think that those guys can sit there and wait a year when they're only making five hundred k or something like that? Probably not, um, considering uh, that maybe that's why they're trying to tell players now, get ready for it. But those guys don't even have the type of money to get ready for it. No, not everybody's going to be a big name free agent someday, looking for that second contract or potentially staying with their, you know, their current team. So, I, I'm curious to see what they do with the franchise tag because players hate it. Um, there's reasons yes. that guys are, you know, not reporting to OTAs right now amid contract standoffs. I think Jadavian Clowney is kind of the uh, poster child for that this year, just because of what the guarantees could be. It could be three. If, you know, if the guarantees that you could make are three times more than the franchise tag, you're not going to want to do that. Um, and also fifth year options for rookie contracts, I think are really tricky. They're not as great as they seem. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious when they decide to, you know, reconvene on this thing, where do those topics, like wh- wh- when you prioritize what you want to fight for, and obviously it seems like the shared revenue is the biggest thing because that's where the money comes from in the first place, what's next then? 
Let me ask you another question pertaining to this. DeMorris Smith sends a letter to the agents. He says, prepare for a lockout for a year or more. Of course, he's going to go over the top with something like this to make it seem really dire and desperate. Um, How upset do you think fans would be to miss some of the NFL? Do you think that there would be so much pressure from the outside to get something done because of where this sport has gotten to? Or... Could you look at a situation where in 1994 with baseball, when the players went on strike, people did not forgive baseball for a very long time for canceling the World Series? I mean, it really took until the late 90s and the McGuire and Sosa home run derby, essentially, to get baseball fans back. If the NFL missed that much time, would we be looking at the same situation because of how big football is and how laughable it would be for people making this much money not to come to an agreement to all make lots of money? Well, I think about it like in the 04 or the hockey lockout. Like, I think hockey kind of fell off in popularity after that point. I mean, that was, you know, my teenage years. Granted, there were blackout rules in Chicago just because of just some arcane. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Yeah, but with the Wirtz family, they didn't yes, know what the hell they were disastrous. doing. Um, so. You lose fans, you lose your fan base. You you really are playing kind of a niche sport at that point. And the TV deal um, really got to them. Then they yeah, were playing an outdoor ab- network when they came back. Exactly, and so that's one thing. Um, would would the popularity of the NFL decrease if a lockout does happen? I don't know. I feel like we would find, as fans of this sport, we would find something else to buy our time. Then, but we've tried that. We've tried the AAF. We've tried the XFL. We've tried the Spring League yeah, to, it, to buy our time when the NFL isn't going on. You think so, that's why the XFL des- decided to do what they're doing? Do I they think, think? they I think Oliver Luck is very smart and knows what's going on here and what the potential is. But it's not. Go- nothing is going to rival in comparison to this. For sure, nothing's even going to be able to scratch the surface of it. It just. It's just another thing when it's gimmicky football, which the XFL has been. I don't know. Obviously, with like the structure of what they're going to do now, if it's going to be the same as it was in the mid two thousands, I would assume it's going to be a little different than that. I'd hope so. Than having Jesse Ventura as a sideline reporter, or like you know, it's different. The in game like cheerleader camera. Um, (laughs) Yes, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I the the thing to really keep an eye on here is the day and age we're in, and as sports betting and and wagering becomes legal in more states. what kind of impact does that have there? Not that I give a rip about sports gambling, because I really don't, even though that is the way that this thing is trending. But it's added pressure. Absolutely. How much pressure do you think they're going to be facing from Vegas and from every, you know, from legislatures and states? To, it's probably the most popular sport to bet on, because it's one of the most lucrative sports to bet yeah. on. So that's going to be really interesting, I think, because it's not going to necessarily take away the focus on it whatsoever. You have outside stakes now, and you have more money. If the NFL locked out, would you forgive it? 651-646-8255 is the phone number from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Cordy Cronin of ESPN, Matthew Collar here. Purple Daily in our new time, 2 to 4 every day. Mackie and Judd with Rami from 4 to 6. We also have Twins Talk every single day from noon to 1. And here's a reminder that you can get any of these things on podcasts. So say... I don't know why this would ever happen to you, but let's just say you didn't feel like football for a day. I mean, oh, maybe you one day. I know. You had a bad day. I know. I mean, but we, we talk about lots of scenarios that never happen in football, and having someone not be interested in football for an hour is very bizarre to me. But let's just say that you're like, hey, I want to hear about that Twins game last night instead of football. Well, you can get our app, the Score North app, or go to wherever you get podcasts. Go Score North Twins. Go Score North Vikings Purple Daily. You can download the show every day. If you missed anything, you can listen to it there. It's great, so make sure you do that. We'll take a quick break, and we will answer some questions that were sent in to us via your Twitter. And um, so, I, There are a few good ones in here. There's, there's a few good ones, but there's also, like, I, this question, I'm surprised that it still comes up. We'll, we'll discuss when we return here on Purple Daily. That shit left a very sour taste in our mouth. I mean, we had plenty of opportunities to make it farther than what we did. But it's a new year, and we made a lot of changes. We have a lot of new players, a lot of new coaches, and I feel like as an organization, they really tried their best to make the best team possible. 
Minnesota Vikings defensive tackle Linval Joseph there back here on Purple Daily. Rami Maklov joins us. At the top of the hour, we will do our Hot Route segment where I go around the league to uh, some different storylines that are happening and ask Courtney and Rami about those. If you want to chime in on our lockout discussion, 651-646-8255. Let's go to Dan in Eden Prairie. What's going on, Dan? Hey, uh, as a long-suffering Vikings fan, I would say that if there was a lockout that ended the uh, Super Bowl, that would be apocalyptic. But uh, if it's something that just costs a few games at the beginning of the season, I think by or NFL fans would forgive them easily. My uh, example would be the 87 series where uh, Viking fans talk about the NFC Championship game, not the uh, strike games that were played at the beginning of the season. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. Thanks for the call, Dan. I, I think that anytime there's lockout talk or whatever else, we start to panic and we start to discuss it a lot and fans get agitated. Oh yeah, billionaires and millionaires fighting, like that whole thing. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as it's over, that's all anyone ever wants. We get millions of updates from reporters and everything else. Everybody's got sources and scoops. And I remember this with the hockey one, especially it was, Oh, maybe this will happen. Maybe this will happen. And then as soon as it's over, we never think about it ever again. We never talk about it ever again. It's just, that's over. Now we're playing. Oh, that was a shortened season. I forgot. Like there was a shortened season in the national hockey league. And it's like, whatever basketball had a shortened season too. Right. Yeah. And and nobody looks at it like, Oh, that was a tainted season or something like that. I just think 94 sticks out because the whole year was canceled. Yes. And 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 people had a hard time getting back to giving back to baseball and wanting to have the loyalty to that sport simply because of the way that the strike and it was, you know, the players, the players striking, it really wasn't, they had no choice. Uh, as far as like the, from the MLB standpoint, from like the front office and business yep. side, it was yep. a player's decision to do that. And it's a great point by Dan that as long as we're not talking about the Super Bowl, it could be an eight-week season and people would still be fine with it. But the playoffs, the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. that stuff's got to happen. We got to name TV a winner. Now, TV networks want to want that. They're going to fight for that. They don't care about a week three game. Well, that's on- the other part of it too. Is there's so much pressure from you mentioned the gambling, but the TV. You're totally right about that. I mean there. I just cannot see it happening that they miss any more than a couple of weeks, more likely than not training camp. So Demora Smith sending this out, it feels much more like a he, sort of a scare tactic. He, he does that though. That he he puts like little seeds out there, and I think it's they want to get something done while Eric Winston is still in office. Um, the you know he's a free agent offensive lineman right now. I think that's important to them, just given like his power and his ability to flex with the NFL and all that and go back and forth. I mean, there's, there's so much more to this. That's not being talked about with what players are demanding and players want and really what is to the best interest of the players, because they really screwed them over in 2011. They really did. It was a bad, 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 bad set set of negotiation tactics that, you know, hurt rookie contracts. And just in the sense of, you know, there's slotted value now. I mean, that's, that's a leverage that you're taking away leverage play from from the players in that. And I think that that one and other things, among other things, are what still are being talked about. And the slotted value thing, I totally understand. I get why it. I that. get it. But it's, it was just getting out of hand of paying players who were awful. <laughs> like you're paying True. Jamarcus Russell so much money and he can't even play in the NFL. But so it's a, it's a leverage tactic. It. Right. For sure it's a leverage tactic. And having those contracts be so long. I mean, yes. it's half a guy's career, if not longer. I mean, if, if, what's the average career? They say four years. Two, two and, it, and a half. But if you're a legit player, though, it's more than that. Let's even say it's eight to ten. But the first five of it is under complete team control. And then you hit the free agent market. They need to do better than that. I think even shorter, shorting those contracts by one year would go a really long way. So you're saying three-year rookie contracts. Yeah, three years with a four-year option. That's I th- fair. I think that would be way better. Kind of like undrafted free agents are three-year deals. I mean, so. Garrett, Garrett Bradbury comes into the league at 24. Yeah. So if they use their fifth-year option on him, he is almost 30 years old by the time he could even become a free agent. Yeah, play, I mean, players fight for free agency. That's supposed to be the benefit to them. Um, that's what you That's what you play for. If you're a really good player, you should be able to test free agency and see where you can go get top dollar elsewhere. I've, and if it takes till you're out of your prime or like, on the way out of it, that's tough. Right. So to your point, bad deal that they're working on. Of course, the NFL loves the deal that they're working on, and that's what the issue is going to be. As long as they get it worked out by the end of training camp, you know what I wouldn't mind missing? 
OTAs. Let's talk about those a little bit. Because the <laughs> first question, so you put it out there for questions. They send your questions to us for the show. Uh, first of all, did the offensive line look good, Courtney? What'd you think? Were you analyzing uh, Garrett Bradbury's hips while in shorts? No, it's hard to tell in shorts. Um, you know, they're just, you can't tell if they're oily enough. That's just a very, very hard. Uh, the loose hips. Loose hips. <laughs> leverage. Anchor point. Blah, blah, blah. Like, Technique. I mean, no. It's hard to tell when we're on the sideline, and I mean, they're changing combinations around. Granted, the one takeaway that we do have is that Pat Alfine is moving to left guard, yep. and Garrett Bradbury is day one center. So I think the thing that you take a look at from here on out, how are the tackles playing? Brian O'Neill isn't playing right now, so we got to figure out what the deal is there. Um, That's the thing about OTAs. No injury updates. No. We just don't get them. Linville Joseph, as Mike Zimmer said, um, had, la- sur- had, had off-season surgery. From what I found out, it's not the elbow. It's a little bit higher than the elbow. I don't exactly have specifications as to what that is, but what, it is not his what elbow. What do you call this? Um I just know that he wears the brace. And so that's when, when I was looking for some more information on that, I was told it was not the elbow. It's higher than the elbow. So maybe something upper body. It's like, it's like hockey all higher over than again. The elbow. Yes. Ear surgery. Could be neck. You never know. Yeah, or like something could. like that. I mean, he, he played from what I was told, he played the majority of last season. He got injured in week three and played through that. And that is, you know, people want to criticize Linville Joseph for the way he played in week 17 and just getting completely lit up by the Bears. Um, he was playing, he's tough. He was playing through serious injuries last year. Was he not on the injury report with three different injuries at one point? I yeah. thought it was yeah. knee, knee, ankle, and, and maybe elbow. elbow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's had he, higher than the elbow. Yeah. So I'm curious as to what that actually was. But um, yeah. So. So I don't so know offense, if the offensive line looks good or not. I mean, but, it's it's hard to tell. Everybody everybody's healthy except for one player. So and he looked good. I mean, just standing around, he, he had no noticeable brace, no noticeable anything. Maybe he was just I don't I don't did, know. Did he look weightier to you? I mean, he, he did <laughs> look he did look little, bigger. A little more meat. I think on he the did look bigger. But O'Neal. that's what you expect for somebody going into their second year. That's it. Does make it difficult when it comes to reporting on OTAs when you can't get explanations for why people weren't sure. practicing, except for oh yeah, he had surgery, and I'm not telling you on what. Uh, now, here's the question. I teased this before the break. The question that I'm surprised still comes up is who's returning kicks and punts? Because I think when it comes to kickoffs, you could put a farm animal back there and it doesn't matter because it will fly over said farm animal. And then mm-hmm. you've got the ball 25 yard line. And actually, returning kicks is a bad idea most of the time. If your name is not Cordero Patterson, usually these guys average less than 25 yards a return. And if you get it, two to three yards deep and you return it even 25 yards, you're at the 25 yard line. (laughs) You have a chance at a penalty. You have a chance at a fumble. You should just kneel it every single time. If your name is not Cordero Patterson. And since they did not resign him, then I don't know. I mean, Amir Abdul is the guy, but who cares? Yeah. And, but I do think in terms of the numbers game, it is something to keep an eye on. Like Amir Abdullah had that like stellar rookie season in 2015. He had the 37 returns for, you know, almost 1100 yards. Um, never scored a touchdown on that. So, I mean, it still is really, really difficult to have, you know, kick return, punt return for touchdown. Um, but he seems to me like the guy given what they're going to want to do with this running back room and just the sheer numbers game. They keep how many corners last year? Six, seven, if you include, was it six or seven? With If you're including Marcus Sherrills, who was never slotted as a cornerback right. until he had to fill in against Tom Brady in, uh, in New England. Um, that was fun. You know, that was never, that was always an emergency option. So, yeah, the, let's, let's list them. The cornerbacks they had on the roster last year, Trey Wayne, Xavier Rhodes, Mike Hughes, Holton Hill, um... Obviously, Marcus Sherrill's at five, Mackenzie Alexander, six. Yeah, I think um, it was six. So six, but you're you're using one of those players as not a cornerback unless it's right. a, sh- a sheer emergency. But with running back, they want to build this room around Dalvin Cook. That's what they've talked about. That's why they drafted Alexander Mattison as high as they did. Um, so maybe it becomes a situation where it's Cook, Mattison, Mike Boone, and then maybe Rock Thomas. And I mean, in the depth chart, I mean, you could probably play. Sounds like a camp battle to me. Yeah. I mean, are you going to really keep five running backs? I think is the question. Yeah, because if, probably one, not. if one of them ends up being your punt return, your kick return guy, um, and you can also factor Holton Hill into that. I don't know if they're going to want to do that with Mike, Mike Hughes right now, just coming off the injury and what they expect from him at corner. Maybe that's too much. 
Remember when Brandon Zilstra was talked about as being the punt returner here? Um, maybe that's something to watch coming in, in, in late July, early August, because we didn't see a whole ton of that last year. And he was there was all this talk that he was such a great special teams player in the CFL. Well, it's a little the, shaky. The, the NFL, returns, it's a yeah. little different. Yeah, I, I think that they brought back Amir Abdullah to be the kick returner. And if he's outplayed by any other running back and they're healthy at that position, then he's out because you just don't need it. Yeah. It's not that important. You used to get 60 returns a year. Now you get 15 to 20. And a lot of them you shouldn't even bring out anyway. Mm-hmm. If if I was an opposing team, I would be trying to train my kicker to kick it inside the five every time, but not out of the back of the end zone. So they have to return it. And we'll probably get to the 25 or less. Almost nobody returns kick for touchdown anymore because new rules have made it even harder. So that question, I mean, it's a good one as it pertains to the roster building. But as far as who it actually ends up being, I don't know. I just, I mean, it just doesn't matter to me. Yeah, it doesn't matter right now. Um, That's, I mean, it's certainly a position battle to watch in August, but it's not of the utmost importance. I just think that... With this fan base bidding adieu to Marcus Sherrill's, that's the reason it's taken such a you know a spotlight onto it because he was here for so long and he did it for so long and he was one of the most explosive returners in the NFL. All right, Rami Maclov is going to join the fold when we come back. If you want to weigh in, 651-646-8255. Would you forgive the NFL if they did lock out as we have a conversation today Uh, based on a DeMora Smith letter to agents telling players to prepare for a year or more of being locked out. I don't think that will actually happen, but I'm curious if it is on your minds as something uh, that could happen in the future. Or any questions as you have pertaining to OTAs, we will continue to discuss. We've got our Hot Routes segment to go around the league. And um, can I call Richie Incognito a former Viking? I think I'm going to call former Viking Richie Incognito because he signed himself to the former Vikings last year. Viking former Viking in his mind. He was uh promised to be a Viking allegedly in his brain, even, even though the text messages from the late Tony Sperano said nothing of oh, the sort really match up, but he's back in the league. So we will discuss a lot of things around the NFL. When we return here, you are listening to our new time slot for purple daily. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands, like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. 